The song you're hearing is Cedric Burnside's The World Can Be So Cold, off of his new album, I Be Trying. I'm John Hammontree, and when we wrapped up season four of The Reckon Interview, things were looking promising. COVID numbers were on the decline, and people were gearing up for hot back summer. Instead, it feels like the world did go cold. August alone was filled with scenes of hospitals packed with people infected by Delta, refugees desperately trying to hold on to U.S. flights leaving Afghanistan, devastating damage by Hurricane Ida in Louisiana, Mississippi, and even as far away as New York City. Texas has basically put out a bounty on women for getting abortions, and on top of all of that, people are buying horse medicine to try to treat themselves for COVID. It feels bleak out there, folks. And so it's no wonder then that Cedric Burnside says that everyone these days can understand the blues. And he should know. My guest this week has been recognized by the Blues Music Awards as the best drummer in blues seven times. He's been nominated for four Grammys, and this year he was awarded a National Endowment for the Arts Heritage Fellowship for his work preserving the traditions of Mississippi Hill Country blues. Cedric Burnside grew up in the Mississippi Hill Country, not far from Memphis, Tennessee. His grandfather, R.L. Burnside, is a legendary figure in Mississippi music history, and Cedric began touring with him when he was just 13 years old. The sound that was developed and honed by the Burnsides can be heard in bands like the North Mississippi All-Stars, the Black Keys, and the Black Crows. And on this episode, we'll discuss Cedric's new album, I Be Tryin', which is out now. And we also discuss whether his grandfather, R.L., was able to get the recognition that he deserved, and what keeps Cedric rooted in Mississippi. And of course, what to do when we're all feeling the blues. So let's go ahead and get started on season five of the Reckon Interview. All right, Cedric Burnside, thanks for coming on the Reckon Interview. Hey, thanks for having me, man. <laughs> uh, your new record, I be trying. I believe you started recording this in in February of 2020, so just before everything shut down because of COVID. Is that right? That is correct. But a lot of the songs on this album, you know, in some ways, feel like a roadmap for this last year. Obviously, this was pre-COVID, this was pre-George Floyd, this was pre-everything that we went through in 2020, but tell me what was on your mind when you wrote The World Can Be So Cold and Step In. I really wrote, started writing my music, man, uh, way before the pandemic. It's kind of crazy how, uh, you know, it, it kind of ties into what's going on in the world yeah, then and today. But The World Can Be So Cold, you know, man, I, I have been through many crazy bad situations uh you know as well as good but i I have been through a lot of bad situations and and i I know that it's hard to cope with but i do know that the world don't owe you anything you know you have to find ways to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and and continue the journey that song came to me you know just thinking those thoughts and and going through those situations that's what made me write that song and it just so happened to be a song that people can relate to, you know, these days. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, particularly right now, you know, you look around Mississippi, you look around the South and you see COVID numbers spiking again all over the place. But then, you know, you have these other songs that you tell people to keep pushing and, and that love is the key. How were you able to kind of maintain your own sanity and sense of purpose in the last year, you know, when, when you weren't able to tour, when you weren't able to get out there and, 
and play music in front of live audiences? I have to say, man, it, uh, it was quite an experience. I like to think that I just, you know, I, I had to put my hands in, in some of everything. Me and my wife, you know, we started adding an addition onto the little house that we got. And so we didn't know how to build anything. So we just watched a bunch of DIY videos and, and just, you know, tried to do some stuff on our own. We made every mistake you can possibly think of. And then so we, we got most of it up. So I, I was kind of dip dabbling in that, you know, trying to keep my mind off of, off of COVID. You know, I, I got into a bunch of different things. A friend of mine had another friend that was, uh, he was a falconer. And so he, he knew a lot about birds. And, and so I got into birds, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> no, that sounds weird, but I, I got very interested in, you know, birds of prey. And so I started doing that. And his name is Greg Davis. You know, I'm his apprentice and he's, he's my sponsor, you know. So right now I'm kind of studying to become a falconer. So I kind of got into that. Um, just, just different things to try to keep my mind occupied and, and not think about, you know, the awful, you know, times that we was going through uh, during COVID. You know, I, I don't think we out of them even right now today. You know, we, we still in, in that, that fight. Yeah. What has it been like there in, in your part of Mississippi? You know, are, are people getting vaccinated? Are people masking up? Are people uh, worried about it? Well, I would definitely say they are. They are worried. Some are vaccinated and there are a lot that hadn't got vaccinated yet. I, I don't really know the reason why they haven't got vaccinated. But I can say um, when I checked the last time, I think it was over thirteen hundred. I think it was a couple of days ago, it was over 1,300 cases in Mississippi alone in one day. I'm pretty sure that done went way higher, you know, and since three or four days ago, you know. One of the things I really love about this record is that, you know, your daughter joined you for a song. You cover one of your grandfather's songs. And so you kind of have like this little window into, into the blues as, as the Burnside family business. You know, what was it like to try to capture so many generations of music in one album. It, it was a bunch of fun uh, to me. One being, that's what I do. You know, it, it's what I love. It's who I am. Uh, I'm hill country right down to the bone, you know. And uh, growing up with all your Burnside, you, you really can't help but to be, whether you enter the music or not. But one thing I always love to do is, is I love to pay tribute to my big daddy, Aya Burnside. The tribute I did on this album, I Be Trying, was Bird Without a Feather. And the reason I chose that, you know, song is because I never hear anybody do that song. And it's, it's such a, a hill country song because of the unorthodox rhythm of the guitar and, and vocals. I used to love to hear my granddad as, as well as see him perform this song. You know, it, it was one of my favorites. And I have a lot of favorites of his, but that was one that I, I used to love to see his aura, you know, his, his energy uh, as he played that song. And I decided to put that song on there for a tribute. But I always add a song, no matter what album I, I put out, I always try to put a song of my big daddy, Aria Burnside, on it just to pay tribute to him. And you, you notice that I added a, a Junior Kimbrough song on this album as well, because Junior Kimbrough was one of the guys that I grew up around too and, and played with a lot. And so he, you know, 
I.L. Burnside, my big daddy, and, and Junior Kimbrough, they kind of, you know, showed me the ropes coming up, you know, as, as a kid to a teenager to a man. And then what it mean for your daughter to be on the album with you? Do your girls like, you know, music as much as you did growing up? Do they play with you? you know, have y'all been able to pass the time pl playing music together? Well, believe it or not, man, we, we all sat down sometimes, mainly my youngest daughter. But I, I bought them all guitars when they was young, you know, and, and they still have guitars today. But my youngest daughter seemed to, you know, be into it a little bit more than my oldest, my two oldest daughters. Like I said, they all love music. But I, I think she just really wanted a little bit more, you know, and so I'm just trying to give her all I can give her uh, while, I, while I'm in this world. And hopefully, you know, she can she can take it and and keep it going when when I'm dead and gone. I love to play music with her. And I'm so glad that she wanted to go in the studio with me and sing this song with me. You know, it, it was amazing. It was a beautiful experience for her, you know, as she told me. And uh, she's looking forward to doing more. And she's about the age that you were when you, I guess, first started touring with your granddad, R.L. Burnside. Is that right? She's just turned 16 on July 25th. I was 13 when I went on my first tour. So I was quite young. And y'all went up to Toronto, all the way up from Mississippi. What was that like? Toronto, Canada. Yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Besides, uh, you know, being a young teenager that never, ever left Mississippi before, uh, I have to say it was it was scary. It was fun, adrenaline pumping, all of that in one. I was so used to playing in the juke joints in Mississippi because that's what I grew up doing, you know, and, and the people who used to come to the juke joints, I was so used to being around them. So, you know, I got used to playing. And so it wasn't anything to me to play with, play for them. But when I left uh, Mississippi, not only leave to go to another state, I went to another country. And I had never been out of Mississippi before, you know, um, you know, trying to play music. And so I was scared. You know, I had butterflies and I was wondering how, how was they going to receive the music. And my big daddy, I remember him telling me, just do what you do at, at, at the club. Don't worry about it. Just do what you do at the club and, and we'll be OK. And we played that one song, you know, after we played the first song. The people started clapping and, and whistling and hollering and shouting. And, and I was like, wow, the butterflies went away. And, and here I am today. I'm still laying it down, as my big daddy say. Uh, and you grew up in, in your big daddy's house, you know, with a, with a house full of musicians, right? There's a, you know, a lot of musicians in your family. What was Mississippi like, you know, growing up at that time? I have to say it was, you know, as a kid, not really knowing a whole lot. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, it, it was definitely fun. I tell this story all the time, growing up poor. I know a lot of people grew up poor. But to me, you know, growing up without running water, without a bathtub, you know, toilet, it was a normal life to me. Like, I didn't know that everybody's supposed to have a bathtub, everybody's supposed to have a toilet, because I grew up without none of that. You know, it was normal to me. Uh, you know, the music made me happy when they played the house parties. And I think that's what got me through, as well as other grandkids. You know, uh, it, it got us through because the music, uh, it, it fed us. You know, it, it fed my soul, at least. Um, and so it, it, it kept my mind occupied, wanting to, you know, can't wait for the next house party. 
you know. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about all the jugs that I had on my back hauling water or all the sticks that I, I cut up, you know, with the axe to have firewood. I didn't think about that, you know. As I was doing it, I was thinking about, oh, man, I can't wait to next weekend for the house party again. So it was normal to me, and it definitely uh, made me the man I am today. It seems like the juke joint culture and house party culture, you know, maybe slipping away. I know you've played Gip's Place there in Bessemer, Alabama, and that's one of the few true juke joints that I've been to. And with COVID shutting things down, how will that culture endure? I know you've, you've talked about maybe opening up a juke joint of your own. Is that something you're still interested in doing? Oh, very much so, man. I, very much so. I, I actually was playing uh, music on my porch not long ago, and some friends came over. You know, they just enjoyed themselves. We drank a little beer and, and uh, you know, smoked a little doobies and just had some fun, man. And it, it made me further want to open up another juke joint just to bring that back. You know, it, it was such a big part of my life. And I think about it right now today, you know, here in North Mississippi, around the Ashland area, the Hollis Springs area, you know, the Bahia area, there's no juke joint. You know, there's no juke joint nowhere. You will have to go to Clarksdale to find a, a juke joint. Or Mr. Jimmy Duck Holmes has one of the oldest ones that's in Mississippi, but he's like three and a half hours away from me. So I want to bring that back to the, to the hill country. Hopefully someday, uh, sooner than later, I can, uh, you know, open up a juke joint somewhere and, and bring that back. People need it. I know you also were just awarded a National Heritage Fellowship from the National Foundation of the Arts. So congratulations on that. And part of that was awarded, I guess, because of how you carry forth, you know, that legacy of Hill Country Blues. For our listeners who may not be familiar with the difference between, you know, Delta Blues and, and Hill Country Blues, what, what is that distinction in Mississippi and, and how do they, you know, have they informed each other? Do they bleed into each other? How does that work? I like to call Hill Country Blues field music. Not feel as in, you know, going chopping the field, but, you know, feel as in feeling, the F-E-E-L feel. It's like, it's what come out of you, and it can come out of you at any given moment. That's how I have to describe it. To me, it's, it's the unorthodox rhythm of Hill Country Blues. It don't quite have the same rhythm as Delta Blues or... Chicago blues, Texas blues, you know, it's, it's quite different. And most people describe it as a hypnotic, droning, you know, style of music. Uh, and, and I agree, it, it kind of puts you in a trance. And that style of blues, you know, it, it just, to me, it does a lot for people. I have saw people come up to me and cry on my shoulder, you know, telling me that that music meant so much to them. And it had brought them out some dark places. I, I didn't really realize how special this music was. You know, as a kid, I just knew I loved it. I loved to play it. I knew as a young age that I was going to play it for the rest of my life. But I didn't really know how special it was. Like, what did it really mean to me? As I got older, I think I was in my early 20s, when this lady come up to me and she was crying. And she laid her head on my shoulder and, and she was crying. And uh, she told me how much it meant to her and, and that it brought her out of some dark spots, dark places. She thanked me and my big daddy and Kenny for playing that music. And I think it dawned on me then. I was about 22, 23 years old. It really dawned on me that 
this music is really, really special. Even today, as I, you know, keep Hill Country Blues going, not because I'm trying to fill shoes, because it's, it's, it's what I love. It's who I am. And I think it was 2019, uh, I did a European tour and I, and I went to France and there was a guy who came up to me and he did the exact same thing. Uh, my wife was with me. My, my manager and drummer, Reed Watson, was with me. And he came up to me and he was crying and he was crying and I, I didn't really know what was going on. And um, he told me, he said, your music really touched my soul. He said, me and my wife used to listen to your music all the time. I still do, but my wife, she passed away, you know, about a year ago. And he just, man, he was just in tears. He was so happy to see me and he was so happy to hug me. But for the most part, he was so happy to hear the music. He wanted to hear Hill Country Blues. And that's what he came there for. He let it be known, you know. So um, I'm so happy and proud to keep this music going, as well as keep writing new Hill Country Blues songs and also keep Junior and my big daddy, R.L. Burnside, you know, let them know how much I appreciate them by paying tribute to, to their music as well. I guess over the course of just a few years, you know, you lost your big daddy grandmother, a brother, your father, and, and your mother. And, you know, I wonder how that affected your music, you know, and if you talked about carrying on RL's legacy, but do you feel kind of the weight of, of more of your family on your shoulders when you're, when you're playing too? I miss my mom, dad, brother. I, I miss him so much. You know, uh, my uncle, Calvin Burnside, uh, he was by far my favorite uncle. And he passed uh, in 2015, a couple months after my dad passed. I feel, you know, the, the pressure with my family just because, you know, I, I used to watch my big daddy be the backbone of the family. You know, he, he was always there for the family, no matter who. He raised his kids, he raised grandkids, and he raised some of his great-grandkids, you know. So he was definitely the backbone of the family. And I used to see people go to him all the time. You know, they need help for food. They need help, you know, moving something. And it didn't matter if it was family or, or somebody just that was on the street. My big daddy was there for him. And I see myself doing that, that same thing, just being there for people. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the song, Love is the Key, because um, we, we have a tendency to talk about love a lot all over the world we talk about it but we don't implement it as much as we talk about it and so i try my best to implement more love uh these days than just talk about it you know just to let people know that i'm there you know uh, we all go through hard times we we all fall and and have to you know get back up but we all don't have that help to get back up sometimes, you know, and, and so I just want to be that help if I can, you know, um, not, I guess it's not for everybody because some people don't want to be helped uh, in this world, but um, if I can help, I, I would love to, you know, try to be there for whoever I can be there for. 
just to implement love more and not just talk about it. Coming up after the break, Cedric Burnside discusses what keeps him rooted in the Mississippi Hill Country. But first, here's a little bit of Cedric performing his grandfather's song, Bird Without a Feather. Just like a bird without a feather. You know I'm lost without a look. Hey folks, it's John Hammontree here. And one other cool thing that happened over the summer is that Reckon Radio was recognized by the National Murrow Awards for Best Podcast. That's one of the biggest honors in journalism. I'm still kind of shocked by it, and we couldn't have done it without your support. We've got a great team of people who basically do this part-time, and one of the ways that you can help us create more great shows is as easy as just sharing this show with your friends or leaving us a review. We've got a bunch of great ideas in the pipeline, and you can help us get the resources to get them made. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to both The Reckon Radio and The Reckon Interview. Thanks, y'all. What do you think that is that keeps you rooted in that? You've been playing internationally since you were 13. You've been recognized as the best drummer in blues more times than I can count on my fingers. You know, you're one of the most acclaimed musicians in the business. It seems like if you had wanted to, you could have had any opportunity to to go live in New York or Chicago or, or Los Angeles or Paris and play somewhere else. What keeps you rooted in Mississippi and in your family and in your community when, when some other musicians might have chosen their talent as, as a way out? It's just something about Mississippi. I've always been here my whole life, and, and I always loved Mississippi. And I done been some of the most beautiful places in the world. But nothing makes me want to leave Mississippi. It's, it's just something about the air here to me. It's something about the earth. You know, I, I feel like there's so much great energy in the earth and so much unique energy in the earth that, you know, I feel and don't know anything about that energy. You know, it just feels so awesome to me. When I walk in the, in the woods, I know you can hear birds anywhere, you know, but it's just something about the birds that's here. And there's something about the woods that's here, these hills that's, that's right here in Mississippi that is so special to me. When I walk through them, it's, it's just beautiful. It makes me want to sit down and have a picnic or sit down and just play my guitar. I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I just know that I love it. Well, and I mean, you know, there's a, a pretty good case to be made that all of American music is indebted to the people of Mississippi. but you know, that doesn't mean that, that the money or the success or the acclaim always makes its way back to the hill country or, or to the Delta. Is it bittersweet knowing how much your grandfather's music lives on and maybe more popular than ever, but that, you know, sometimes it's bands from, from Ohio that have more financial success with his sound than, than he was able to. I know that you know, my big daddy, he don't mind people doing his music. I, I do know that. And, and neither do I. He didn't make money like he should have made playing his own music. And, and that goes for a lot of musicians out there. And, and that's not here today. You know, Junior Kimbrough was one of them. And think about Fred McDowell. I think he was a hill country king. You know, he, he was great. His family didn't get much money off of it. 
those things happen. Are they right? No, I, I don't think they're right. I, I think people should get what they deserve, especially what they work hard for. But I have to say this, I am glad that they made music good enough and special enough for people that love that music, that want to put it out there, you know, that want to keep that music going. You know, and, and that's one thing that I always do is, is thank my big daddy, Ariel Burnside, for opening the door, you know, for the Burnside family and not just the Burnside family, but for other musicians who love this style of music, Hill Country Blues. I thank him. That's, that's just one of the reasons why I like to pay tribute to him on every album that I put out is to let him know that I, I love him for it, you know, and I appreciate him so much for it. And I am going to keep it going. As long as I'm living, I am going to keep the Hill Country Blues going. And, and I want to be able to pay my bills and while I do it, you know, but e even if I didn't get paid for my music, I would still play it, you know. And, and it's nice to be able to get paid doing something that you would love to do. Um, I mean, doing something that you would do even if you wasn't getting paid, you know. So I, I love that. You mentioned, you know, our friend Reed Watson, friend of the show, love Reed and love the folks over there at Single Lock Records, who you worked on this album with. And you also produced it with Boo Mitchell, who's the son of, you know, a legendary producer, Willie Mitchell there in Memphis. You know, so that's neat because you've got Single Lock is kind of the next generation of Muscle Shoals music. You know, you're the next generation of Hill Country. And then um, Boo is next generation of kind of Memphis music, all working together on an album. You know, how do you carry on that tradition, but also figuring out ways to, to work in your own sound and make it uniquely yours and not, you know, something that is the sound of, of y'all's parents' generation or grandparents' generation? What I do, I get from, from my big daddy. You know, if that makes sense, just growing up around him, um, you know, my whole life, you, you know, they say if you, you're around a person enough, you start looking like them, you start talking like them, and you, you might start acting like them. <laughs> I was around him so much. And so I, I picked up a lot of his ways. And he also used to play a bunch of the old school music for me as a kid. That old school sound, even though I listened at other music, you know, I listened at a little rap, I listened at a little funk. Um, you know, even though I listened at that, my heart was was stuck on the old school blues that he would play me, like Fred McDowell, you know, and and uh, Lightning Hopkins, and you know, um, Muddy Waters, and and Highland Wolf. He he would play that music for me, and and I would just get captivated in it. I I would just get get stuck in it, you know, as a young kid, and I think that kind of grew with me. It, it stuck with my heart. And the music that I write, even though it's, it's modern music, it, it also has an old feel to it because that's my heart. You know, my heart is it's the old school. It's, it's what I love. It's what I grew up around. And it's what I present. I'm in the modern days, so I, I still like to have my sound. But I, I think it's going to always have an old feel to it. I'm curious, do you think, you know, you talked about carrying water and growing up poor. And I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily essential 
to blues music, but do you think that your daughters will have the same sort of feel for blues music that you do uh, if they didn't grow up the same way that you did? You know, not that you want them to grow up for, but do, do you think that, that they can get the blues if they didn't grow up the way you did? To be totally honest with you, man, they don't have the blues because there has been times where the lights got cut off and, and we had to use candles. Uh, there has been times where the water had got cut off and we actually had to go buy water. You know, we didn't have to haul it, but we had to go buy it um, from Dollar General or, or wherever that sold water. So it, it has happened, not to the significance of, of what I went through as a kid. Um, you know, putting the, putting the belt on your shoulder and having to walk a mile, mile and a half uh, and to get water in a mile, mile and a half back. I, I hope they don't ever have to see anything that bad, but they do know what the blues is. <laughs> have you ever been tempted, I guess, to maybe sell out is the wrong word, but like, have you ever been tempted to use your talent and, and go commercial and, and chase after more money? Or is that is the commitment to the sound the most important thing? I will have to say I, I have been tempted. Not as much playing my music, but when I collaborated with uh, other musicians, there have been offers on the table to add this to your music and add that to your music and we'll give you this contract. You do this to your music, we'll give you this kind of contract. So yeah, I have been tempted, but I, I always love my sound, the raw sound. It's who I am and, and it, it represents where I come from. And, and whether, whether you like it or not, it's who I am. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to take nothing away from that. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of the way, the way I stay grounded to, to who I am. It's do what I know, play the music the way I grew up doing it. You know, my big daddy used to play uh, the music the same way, even before he, you know, uh, had two guitars, before he got Kenny Brown and, and drums. He used to play, you know, just guitar and drums. It used to be him and my and my dad, Calvin Jackson. Uh, and then when my dad moved overseas, it, it was me. You know, um, uh, Kenny Brown was, you know, he started playing with my big daddy before I was born. But he, he did not form a band with my big daddy, you know, before I was born. That that all came after, uh, you know, I was born. Uh, and we got to do that together. But even then, it was still just the raw sound. You know, what you see is what you get. And what you hear is, is just what, what you're going to hear every time you, you see him play. You know, that raw, hill country, unorthodox sound. Do you know much about who taught your big daddy uh, and who he learned his music from? You know, he used to tell me stories. He was really good friends with Muddy Waters and, and Highland Wolf. He used to tell me stories about playing together with them, but he used to tell me that him and Mr. Fred McDowell was really, really good friends. And so he used to go over and play with Mr. Fred, you know, and, and Mr. Fred will show him a few tips on the guitar. Even though he was pretty good, you know, Mr. Fred would still show him a few tips on the guitar as they drank moonshine and shoot craps, you know. <laughs> I would say that he got most of his tips and style from uh, Mr. Fred McDowell. It's not really clear to me who he grew up playing with, uh, anything like that. But uh, I know that some people that he played around 
did show him a few few tips and that was Mr. Fred McDowell that he talked about the most. How did you and Reed start playing together and what made you move over to single life records? Over three years now. Yeah, going over three years now, going on four years when I signed with Single Lock. And, you know, the, what made me want to sign with Single Lock is they didn't want to tamper with my music. Like I said earlier, there was record companies that wanted me to add this, add harmonica, or and not that I don't like harmonica, I love it, but they wanted me to add background vocals. They wanted me to add saxophone, and, and they just want to kind of, you know, enrich my music up to for something that's that's not me. And um, Single Lock didn't want to do that. They let the artist art, and and I was so happy to hear that that I could play my music the way I hear it in my head. You know, the way I hear it in my heart, I can play it that way. Uh, it's greasy, it's raw, it's unique, it's definitely unorthodox. And so they let me be me. And I'm so grateful and happy that they, they let the artist be the artist. And that's the reason I chose him. And Reed, when he practiced with me the first time, I was like, wow, you know, I, I did not know he was uh, such a great drummer. And the reason I say that is because there's, I done, I done heard so many amazing drummers. You know, a lot of them say they want to play Hill Country Blues. And a lot of them say that they can play the Hill Country Blues just because they done heard it. But when they get up there, it's like <laughs> it's like a deer in headlights. You know, it, it's so the rhythm is so different. You know, uh, the changes is so different. Um, and so they find themselves uh, in, in a bit of a pickle, not knowing where to go, you know. <laughs> and so when Reed did it for the first time, I was like, wow, it, it, it amazed me that he caught it and he held the beat down, and and I thought that that was really cool. So we practiced more and more. Now we we this unstoppable force, uh, this two piece that go out and if I can kick ass and take name. You know, your grandfather was a sharecropper. Most scholars seem to say that you know blues was born out of out of the sounds of you know African slaves, enslaved people working in in Mississippi and, and Alabama and places like that. Um, and the sounds of the music has, has endured for, I guess, you know, over 100 years now. And you've talked about how, you know, as long as you're living, you're going to make sure that the Hill Country sound continues. What is it about blues that has, in, has endured for a century when other styles of music have, have come and gone and will make it keep enduring? Just judging on all the history that I have heard about blues and, you know, all the things that I have read about the blues, the blues has always been here. You know, even if people knew what it was or didn't know what it was, it, it always been here. When the slaves was, when they was in the fields and they had to talk to family members and friends, you know, the masters didn't want them to talk. So they had to find ways to communicate, to, to get around. That and they, and they chose singing, you know, and 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 a lot of people call them Negro spirituals. So they chose singing. It was the blues, you know. They had to find ways to communicate with each other, to let each other know that they love them, to let each other know that I, I wish you would meet me at the creek later on tonight, you know. <laughs> Whatever message they had to get across, they had to kind of fake it across. And the way they did that was to sing it. And it just evolved. 
I think blues is, to me, in my heart, is living to tell about your struggle. You know, we all have them. In these days and times, everybody have the blues. You know, it's, it's no color. Blues is no color in these days and times. It, it came from black people. Yeah, it did. But in today, everybody have the blues and it don't matter what color you are. If you go out there and your car quit and you in the hot sun and you, you waiting on somebody to come pick you up, you got the blues. When your woman leave you, you you're going through hard times and she ain't there no more. Uh, you, you got the blues, whether you know it or not. And, and that happens with everybody today. Uh, I know you wrote this record before COVID. Like you said, we, we, everybody has the blues these days. Uh, you know, ha have you written any music during the last year to help you get through, you know, these times? I, I have. I actually wrote Love is the Key the second day of recording in studio. I wrote Love is the Key. It was things that I, I was going through right, right before the pandemic really hit. It was just things I was going through during the pandemic. When I finished the album is when I wrote Love is the Key. Yeah, that one was written during the pandemic. And that's, that's kind of why I wrote it, because people don't implement love as much as they talk about it. And at that time, everybody needed love. And, and even now, but specifically at that time, everybody needed love. And so I kind of wrote that song to just, just let people know that, you know, um, if you got any grudges with anybody, you know, talk about it and get it squashed. Because um, these days and times, you know, the little petty grudges, it, it's not worth it. You know, uh, we, we got bigger fish to fry. We, we up against something way bigger than, than ourselves. That was one of the reasons why I wrote that song, Love is the Key. Life is too short to stay mad. Well, Cedric, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for your music. And we hope to see you out performing real soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. And that's our show, folks. Thank you to Cedric Burnside for taking the time out of his busy day to speak with us. I am pretty sure he had just gotten finished mowing his lawn before we hopped on our Zoom. Thank you to Single Lock Records and especially Reed Watson for helping arrange the interview. All of the songs you hear featured in today's episode are from Cedric's album, I Be Tryin', which you can find at your local record store or at singlelock.com. And there you can also find the latest information about his plans to tour, as well as ways to help artists who have been affected by Hurricane Ida. We've got a great season in the works for you folks, and I've got some great news. In just a few weeks, my wife Robin and I will be welcoming our first child into the world. But don't worry, I've recorded plenty of episodes to hold y'all over while I'm gone. But you can help us keep this show going in the meantime by sharing this episode with three of your friends and opening your phone and leaving us a five-star review right now. It'll take you just a few seconds, but it'll help us get the word out to more people about our show. The Reckon Interview is executive produced and hosted by me, John Hammontree. It's edited by Kanika Codrington and the wonderful team over at Edit Audio. If you want more stories like this during the week, join the conversation by signing up for our weekly newsletter over at ReckonSouth.com newsletters. And as we wrap up, as Cedric Burnside suggests in this song, when the world feels cold, love is the key. Stay safe, y'all. Thanks for reckoning with me. Love y'all.